bring you all greetings in the precious name of Jesus this morning. I'd like to start the message with a story that I read in my studies. The story is told of a Quaker couple. They were working, a husband and wife, they were working outside the one day and they noticed a box truck pull up to the house next door and people got out and they found out they're going to be getting new neighbors. And they observed the people in the, or the new neighbors, they observed them getting their possessions out of the box truck and they noticed that their new neighbors, by all appearances, were very wealthy. They had a new refrigerator with an ice maker on it. I'm not sure how long this dates back. Uh, you know, that's pretty common now. Their remoteless TV, state-of-the-art stereo, and just many very new gadgets and devices that they were taking out of the box truck and putting into their house. So the next day, the Quaker couple, husband and wife, they decided they're going to go over and meet their new neighbors. They took a welcome gift over and introduced themselves, and they had a pleasant conversation with their new neighbors. At the close of their time together, <clears throat> the Quaker man just said, hey, if you ever need help, or if your devices ever break, anything breaks, let me know. And the man gracious was like, well, that's very generous of you. Like, thank you so much. And he said, no problem. I'll just tell you that you can live without him. <laughs> Maybe not the, resp- the response that the new neighbor was expecting. I share that story thinking about material possessions that we have or that we get so used to living with and how times have changed over the years. We now, at least I believe most of us here, have devices and things in our home that many years ago our great-grandparents would have never imagined that we would have. If we want to, it is possible to buy a plane ticket and fly around the world in about, I think it was, read about 45 hours to fly, you know, the circumference of the world, full circle. And there's many things that we can do that they could not. Now we can go on our device, whether it's phone or computer, touch the screen a few times, and have almost anything that we want delivered to our doorstep, most of it within two days by Amazon. You know, many years ago, that was not an option. We can purchase items that we don't even have the money for by, you know, swiping a credit card. We can eat almost any food that we want if we have the funds there to buy it. You know, many years ago, you could only eat basically what was in season or if you have had a good way of preserving it with salt or, you know, cutting up ice blocks and keeping it cold and preserving it that way. So we have many modern conveniences, so therefore we live in a very content society, right? Are we a content people? Well, I've also read that now more than ever, especially in America, we are very, this is at large, very discontent. And a survey went out, I found different reports, but as low as like 15% of Americans admitted that or 15% admitted that they are content. The other, you know, would have uh, admitted that they're not content. And especially with the pandemic, with COVID and 2020, and that caused a lot of discontentment as well. Another story for you children, 
want you to think a little bit. Is there anything that you wish you could have that you don't have yet? Anything that you wish you could have? Raise your hand if you have something that you would love to have, but you don't have it. don't see a whole lot of hands. But my guess is, even as adults, we probably have some things that we wish we could have, but we don't. Maybe it's beyond our means. We, we cannot obtain it. I remember growing up, I would have loved, oh, I, I grew up on a farm. One thing I enjoyed that we did not have at the farm that I got to enjoy sometimes was a creek. And my dad and Matt's dad farmed together. Matt and I are cousins, for those of you who don't know. And when I grew up, my dad and his dad would share equipment and they'd help each other out with the crops. And I always looked forward to when my dad was going to Matt's place because I wanted to ride along and they had a creek. And it was in the summertime that we could go down to the creek and enjoy the creek there. We could fish, catch frogs, look for turtles. I just, I loved that. And I always wished there was a creek on our farm. Well, I never got that wish. And even today where we live, we have, we're blessed with an acre of land, but there's, there's no creek running through it. But there's some things in life that we might always wish we could have. Sometimes we might get it. Sometimes we might not. But I want to talk about contentment this morning. And the title of the message is Secrets to finding contentment. The Bible says godly, godliness with contentment is great gain. You can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Very familiar verse that I just mentioned. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In our society, great gain is usually measured by the amount of Wealth or the amount of material possessions or how much you have saved up in your savings account or checking account. That is how society largely views success or great gain. But the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. The context of this passage or in the beginning of this chapter So Paul is writing to young Timothy. Timothy was a young leader and Paul is instructing him throughout first and second Timothy and how he should, what he should teach, how he should live, what type of character people should have. And in the beginning of chapter six, Paul is writing to young Timothy about master and servant relationships. We think of it or today we would say employees and employer relationships and how they are to care for one another, Uh, employees are supposed to respect and obey their employers or their masters. So that's the beginning of of chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I will, I'll start reading here at verse 1, and I will read through verse 10 at this time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. 
He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof come envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Now, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, or in other words, those that desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. For while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want to start looking at some definitions of contentment. So what is contentment? Do you think of yourself as a content person? Are you content? So one definition of contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Does that describe your lot in life? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? And if things are going the way we would like them to go, I believe that we naturally find ourselves somewhat content. If things aren't going the way we would like them to, it's easy to be discontent or to be unhappy with where we're at. But contentment is more than just, you know, material possessions or even things going the way we would like them. Another definition is the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. So thinking about that a little bit differently, being Satisfied with things as they are, not just, you know, material possessions. So there is a satisfaction which should characterize the child of God. Every believer should have a level of contentment, really a great level of contentment, being satisfied uh, as a child of God, finding their sufficiency in God. On the other, on the flip side of this, it's not that we're content in our spiritual journey that we don't want to continue to grow. We should have that desire to grow in our walk with the Lord. So we're not satisfied with where we are in maybe character, but, you know, maybe more with, with what we have is where we can find this contentment. <clears throat> so also it's not this contentment is being satisfied, you know, where in our, where we are in our lot of life, so to speak, and not so much, again, of material possessions. Paul said, right after this verse, or no, in verse in verse 8, he said, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So, my question is, if you had food and you had clothing, are you content? That sounds pretty minimal to be content, right? Food and clothing? One th- one thing I did find interesting as I was studying this, I'm not a, a Greek scholar by any means, and maybe I should have Riley or Spencer speak into this, but what I found in my studies was that Greek word raiment, or also clothing, means covering and also includes shelter. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, I like that better. <laughs> Having food, clothing, and a roof over my head. 
that, that, sounds, that sounds better. So, having food, clothing, let us be there with content, or having food and shelter. It is true, I believe, that money does take away some... If, if we have sufficient funds for the bills, that can take away stress, right? If the funds aren't there, life can get stressful. And this time of year with tax season, and it's sometimes, at least in my experience, sometimes the bills just start rolling in. It's like, okay, <laughs> start writing checks and the, the, state or the checking account dwindles. But are we still content when those things happen, when maybe the funds don't always reach around as, as we would like? Someone has said this about money, and I, I liked it, and I'll repeat it here. There is trouble getting it, speaking about money, so there's trouble getting it, anxiety in keeping it, temptation, temptations in the use of it, guilt in the abuse of it, sorrow in losing it, and perplexity in disposing of it. So it sounds pretty complicated, right? So money, I'm going to be talking about that some this morning, and... Money is something, it's a necessity, I would say it is, in order to go throughout life. But there's great danger in how we handle the money that we are stewards of. And I do want to use a balanced approach this morning. This message, as, I'm study, as I was studying for this, I had to really wrestle through some things in my own life, like what is contentment? What should it look like? How do we apply this to our lives personally? And I believe... It's hard to draw a a clear line for everyone, or the same for everyone. We need to use a balanced approach. My wife and I are planning to put an addition on our house this year, and as I was reading this, it's like, well, we could live without the addition, but it would sure be nice. (laughs) So it, it does take discernment in how to go through life living content lives and hope to bring some clarity throughout this message as we look at more of this text. The society that we live in, if you see the billboards, if you look at the ads that people are trying to get you to buy the latest and greatest, they can make you feel like you're, you're missing out or that these, a want, the desire that we have can soon feel like a necessity You know, the newest phone comes out. There's many people that feel they need that newest phone, the newest device, the newest vehicle, the the latest and greatest. Well, we can soon become very discontent if that's what we are pursuing. It is very clear in Scripture that coveting is sin. So that's almost, that ties in with being content, but yet it's a whole, I don't plan to touch on much of that this morning. But coveting is simply longing for something that is not yours. And when you covet, I believe that's when you are discontent with what you have and you you just keep seeking other things that you do not have or longing for. And that the Bible talks about as coveting and that is sin. We are not to covet. So again, thinking about the title, The Secrets to Finding Contentment, I'd like to look at three secrets that I found in this passage that I believe are helpful. And I'm going to read now the rest of the chapter. I would like your help in pointing out these 
three secrets or three actions that I believe we all should take in order to live a content life. And I'll give you a hint. They all start with F and I'll give you another hint. They're all they're in verses 11 and 12. I'm going to be looking for three words that start with F. They are all action words. So I'll read this passage and then I'll look to you, see if you can find them. So again, we just read the verses about Paul speaking to Timothy, how godliness with contentment is great gain, how we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing with us. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And then he goes on to say, the love of money is the root of all evil. But verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without, without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in times he shall show, who is the blessed and only Pontinent, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Then verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who give us all things richly, or all things Sorry, who give us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Or in other words, that means to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, laying up, laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So I'll turn it over to you. And what are the three words that start with F, the action words that we should take in order to live a content life? Flee. Thank you. Follow. Fight. Yes, thank you. And I want to look at those three this morning. I, I have three points for the message, and it is those three words right there. Flee, follow, and fight. And what I want to leave you with is this line, is that I want us to be content with our lot in life so that we lay hold on eternal life. And that phrase, lay hold on eternal life, is found in verse 12 and also in 19. Lay hold on eternal life. As I was thinking about this, so if we are not content with our lot in life, if we're always looking for the latest and greatest and we're never satisfied with where we are, we are actually going to be distracted from the eternal things, from what God really wants us to pursue. So if we're content with our lot in life, we can lay hold on the things eternal. 
or think about what Jesus really wants us to pursue. So number one, the first point, flee. Flee these things. Well, what things is Paul referring to? Paul says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Well, I believe it's the things that he just mentioned prior to these verses about fleeing certain things. And I want to look at them. I wrote a few down. And the first one that I wrote down is flee a discontented spirit. So verse six, again, this verse is what I really want us to be have ringing in our minds today and throughout this week. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we're discontent, we're really missing how God wants us to live. And the verse prior to this verse five says there are some or that are supposed that gain is godliness. There were some teachers that were just simply quarreling with others. Some were likely teaching things, gaining a following, gaining financial gain from their followers. They were thinking that gain is godliness. And Paul says, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. So flee a discontented spirit. Someone that's discontent will never have enough, right? So again, I mentioned some a creek is something I would have always enjoyed growing up. There were some things that I did want growing up and some things that I got that my parents did give me. And while I enjoyed them for a time, do you think they gave me lasting satisfaction? And to think about the things that you received that were gifts to you, did it bring you just lasting satisfaction? The material things, they might bring satisfaction for a time, but after a while, you want the next new thing, right? You want something else that doesn't quite satisfy anymore. So flee a discontented spirit. And verse 9 says, they that will be rich, or in other words, those that desire to become rich. And I believe the desire to become rich is one of the snares that Satan uses. And this can happen in my life. I believe this can happen in any one of our lives because we do need material things to go throughout life, right? We do need the the food. We need the shelter. We need the clothing. And we have lots of other accumulations. When you go to move is when you find out how many material things you accumulate, right? You have lots of possessions to take with you. And we can get, I believe any one of us can get wrapped up in pursuing the material things and losing focus in pursuing the things that God wants us to pursue. I think also something that I read as I was studying for this message is what Alexander the Great said before he died. Alexander the Great gave instructions for how he wanted his hands in in his coffin. And this is what he said. When I am dead, see that my hands are not wrapped up in cloth, but are placed with my palms up so that all who pass by can see that they are empty. This is Alexander the Great that said this. And Paul says right here, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. When a baby is born, you don't ask what they come with, what, what came with them. Well, no, they, they just come into the world as they are. They, have, they bring nothing with them. And when someone dies, when you walk past that casket and look in and see that body there, they're not taking their material possessions with them. 
They're all left behind. They go with empty hands. We cannot take anything with us. It's just good to think about that, for me to think about that as I go throughout life. Again, not that we can't accumulate material possessions. We do need some of them. But with the mindset of we are going to leave them all behind. They are temporary. The second one that I wrote down, this is still under the first point, things to flee. Is Secondly, I wrote down flee the love of money. Paul didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. I wonder, as I was studying for this, if Paul was thinking of Judas. So Judas, a disciple of Jesus, went and betrayed his master, betrayed Jesus for money. And money being the root of all evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Yes, money can buy us things, but it will not bring lasting satisfaction. So the desire to become rich. We might all have plans of, you know, Making money, and I think it is wise to plan in business, you know, to, to run a profitable b- business. But we need to ask ourselves, what is my main goal here? Is it is it to pad my pockets? Is it to build up a big uh, bank account? Or why am I doing what I'm doing? This week was a beautiful week with weather. We were rototilling in the garden, planting garden. And my children, or we, there's quite a few stones in our garden. And we decided that. We would pay our children some money if they picked up stones. And they got excited about this. They were picking up, there was just lots of small stones. They were making piles of stones. They each had their own pile and telling me how many stones that they're getting. And I heard one of my younger children say, we're going to get rich. (laughs) They were just so excited about this. And it was very innocent in the way it was said, but... We as adults sometimes can have that same mindset about, you know, just pursuing wealth. But Paul said it, the love of money is the root of all evil. Thinking about that, so what does the love of money cause some people to do? And Matt talked about integrity and devotional, and this this goes somewhat in line with that as well. But when there's not integrity, when we just pursue riches... Some people will deceive to get more money. Some people will cheat to get more money. People will lie to get more money. They'll gamble to get more money. All for their personal gain. And Paul said, these types of people that love money, they actually pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I don't know what all that looks like, but Money, again, thinking of it as a tool and yet how dangerous it can be when we are just pursuing money, when we love money and money is what's driving us. We're actually piercing ourselves through with many sorrows. And maybe some of those sorrows could be the the tragedy of a wasted life. Someone that comes to the end of their life after realizing that all they lived for was financial gain or the making a name for themselves. They come to the end of their life 
probably being filled with sorrow. They're leaving it all behind. All that they live for is going to be left behind. Or maybe the sorrow of losing one's children to the world. We can maybe say the right things, but yet if we, if we live in a way that is just accumulating wealth, we have that danger of losing our children to the world. Or also maybe it could be thinking about the sorrows of piercing themselves through with sorrows. Maybe the grief of seeing it all vanish away. You know, sometimes buildings burn where all the content, the people that bought, they've saved for years, they've stored in the building can all vanish just like that in a fire. Or it can vanish just like that from theft, piercing them through with sorrows. So we are to flee the love of money. We'll keep moving here. The second point, follow. Paul said, flee these things, but follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Again, thinking about follow to lay hold of things eternal, lay hold on eternal life. The child of God is to pursue godly character rather than material wealth. We should be concerned about or be pursuing more godliness, more holiness for our lives. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And those things, I believe, are talking. Jesus talked about not worrying about what you're going to eat, not what, worrying about what you're going to wear, but these things will be given to you. But seek first the kingdom of God. So we, thinking about these words that Paul said here, righteousness, that speaks of our attitude toward following the teachings of God's word. We are to pursue righteousness. We are to pursue godliness. Godliness speaks of our attitude toward God. We should desire to please him. And then faith or faithfulness speaks of our attitude towards duty. We are to keep our word, keep our responsibility or to fulfill our responsibilities and be people of integrity to live faithful lives. And then Paul also says love Following after love speaks of our attitudes towards fellow believers or even towards all people and love even to our enemies, a love that goes the second mile. We are to be pursuing these things or following after love, following after patience or perseverance. And this speaks of our attitude towards circumstances, not so much with people, but more towards our attitude towards God when trials come. To be patient, to persevere through the trials that come. To be pursuing this type of godly character. And then lastly, meekness or gentleness. This speaks of attitude towards self. We make deliberate effort to lay aside getting our own way. A meek person or someone that's gentle. He's not so concerned about getting his his agenda done or his way pushed through, but rather seeking the interest of others. So we are to follow after these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness to lay hold on eternal life, follow after eternal riches. And then the third point, fight. Thinking about these words of action. So we looked at flee these things, follow after, and now fight the good fight of faith. The tense of the verb fight is the imperative present, meaning the struggle will be a continuous process. 
And I believe we all know that the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. We are called to fight. We have an enemy to battle against. There's spiritual warfare that is going on. And we are to fight the good fight of faith, to continue pursuing the things that God wants us to pursue rather than accumulating material possessions. Verses 17 through 21. I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to cover all these verses in here. I'm going to now jump down to 17 and try to close this chapter quickly. The people in Ephesus were, there were likely some very wealthy people. And Paul said in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Again, I said, I want to be balanced with this message. When I read this verse, the end of verse 17 says, talking about God giving us all things, God giving us richly all things to enjoy. So there are things in this world, I believe even material things, tangible things that God gives us to enjoy. And that can be things uh, or many different things, things like in nature, food, they're, they're a gift from God and they're, they're meant for us to enjoy. But the warnings to the rich not to be high minded, not to be proud and not to put trust in uncertain riches. Well, uncertain riches, I believe, are things where thieves that are things that thieves can steal, where moths can eat and that rust. Those are uncertain riches. Our bank account is an uncertain or are uncertain riches, right? They can be hacked into. They can be lost. But to put our faith in God and recognize that God is the giver of these good things. And I believe it is. In my own life, it's when the finances are there, it's easy to place trust in the finances, to place trust in the things that the, the material possessions that I have rather than recognizing or rather than always recognizing that no, I need to still trust God. I need to trust God for the future. I cannot trust the these uncertain riches that I have. And I believe we limit the power of God when we place our trust in these riches that we have. I read stories sometimes of God doing miraculous things for those people who just cry out to him because they had no way of providing for the bill that came or the had no food to put on the table. And they just cried out to God and God provided. And I believe we miss out on some of those Miracles that God can do when we just rely on our own resources. Not saying that we shouldn't save, but I think there is a there's a balance to it all. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I talked about there were likely rich people at Ephesus. And I believe that every one of us here this morning is rich. We have food. We have clothing. We have shelter, and I'd say we have more. And we need to very carefully or handle our material possessions very carefully. What am I doing with the gifts, with these good things that God has given me? Yes, I believe we can enjoy them, but are we saving them for ourselves? And then 
verse 18. I love this verse. This is talking about the rich. They, so God has given us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or to be generous and ready to share. So the, these material possessions that God gives us, they're not meant just for us to hoard them for ourselves, to build bigger barns and to create more and more wealth. But God, God's heart is that his people would share their blessings with others, that they would share with those who are in need, both, I believe, within the local body where there, when there's a need there, but then also worldwide. When we get that CAM newsletter and we read about the earthquakes and we read about all the hunger that some people are facing or the, the unclean water that people have, it should move in our hearts to give and sometimes to give to what hurts, to give more than what we feel like we can give. And I think something that's really good to do, and I'm, I'm guessing you, you do it already, is I think it's valuable to teach our children, you know, when they earn some money, to also give. And what we'll do as a family different times, we'll read some of the articles in the CAM newsletter, and they'll, out of some of their money that they get, they'll, they'll give to those needs. I think it's important that we teach our children to share our money with those in need. We are not, yes, yes, God blesses us, but again, not just so that we can obtain more and more wealth to ourselves, but to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. There's a story, you may have heard this story before, but there was a story of a businessman that met a fisherman and he walked up to this fisherman and he was sitting by his boat and he, the businessman asked this, the fisherman, he's like, why aren't you out catching more fish? He had some fish laying there in his boat. He's like, well, he caught enough for the day. And this businessman said, well, just think if you went out and caught more fish, you could eventually buy a bigger boat. You could go out and catch more fish. You could hire some people to help you fish and you could generate more income and the this fisherman was like, why, and why would I do that? He's saying that he, this fisherman said he, he enjoys just going out and fishing. Well, he's like, their businessman said, if you did that and bought bigger boats, you could get to the point where you could quit your job and fish all you want. And this fisherman said, that's, that's what I'm doing, <laughs> fishing all I want. So this takes balance to it all. I'm not saying business strategy. strategy it's, I believe it is right sometimes to plan ahead. But it comes down to what are we going to do with the riches that God gives us? Are we doing it to accumulate more and more here? And I believe, thinking about the wants that we have, I believe there are, in my life anyway, there's times where God gives us things that we long for for a long time. And when he does that, we need to recognize that and thank him for it. But I believe also those very things that he gives us can actually become a stumbling block if we place our trust in those things that he gives us and we get so wrapped up in the material, that's, there's a real danger there, I believe, for my life and I believe for each one of us. Recognize, recognize that these things come from God. We are stewards. And God wants us to be content with the things or where we are at in life. So again, thinking about finding contentment to lay hold on eternal life. Again, flee the love of money. Follow after godliness and fight the good fight of faith or fight 
or lay hold on eternal life. So in conclusion, I want to close with some verses. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but I think it's the, I think these verses are very profound. What Paul wrote in Philippians chapter four, he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know how both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's a, those are beautiful verses. Paul went through extreme suffering. He was beat. He went through hunger. And yet Paul said he learned how to be content with whatever state, whatever condition he went through. He learned how to be content. And I believe the key in that is he recognized I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to put our faith in God, God as a provider. His sufficiency, Paul's sufficiency was placed or he he was trusting God. And real quickly here in closing, Fanny Crosby, I know I talked about her before, but just amazing life that she lived as a blind lady. She was blinded from what I read when she was about six weeks old. Her doctor was actually trying to heal her eyes and he put this, these drops in her eyes which blinded her for life at six weeks of age from what I read. At eight years of age, Fanny Crosby wrote this poem. She wrote, she wrote, Oh, what a happy child I am. Remember, she's blind. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. As a blind girl at eight years old, she was content with her lot in life. Sometimes we go through things in life where we probably want out of the circumstances. We don't want to spend our life there. And I believe it's okay to want something better in those times, to long for something better. But to also recognize, as, as Paul did, we can be content with whatever stage that we're going through in life to find joy in the things that we do have. Because if we, can only, if we feel like we'll, we'll be content when we get out of this or we'll be content when we get this or whatever we're pursuing, we'll get that. And then we realize that it did not bring lasting contentment. But to, again, think of the three things here to, to flee the love of money follow after righteousness, and to fight the good fight. And I believe we can find that, I believe it can be our testimony that godliness with contentment is great gain. Why don't we say that verse together in closing? Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Thank you, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you for... The instructions that we have in your word. And I pray that each one of us would take this seriously. The of pursuing contentment or con- pursuing godliness to be content with where we are in life. I pray that we would be able to flee the temptations where that we might face to accumulate wealth just to ourselves. But I pray that we would follow after righteousness and that we would fight the good fight, that we would be willing to share our blessings with those around us. I pray that you would remind us as we go throughout this week to lay hold onto eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.